All right. Hey, everyone. This is Bram Kanstein, and you're listening to Bitcoin for Millennials. Together with my guests on this podcast, I go on a journey to discover how our current financial system works, why it's flawed, and why Bitcoin is the most relevant technology that you, my fellow millennials, should understand and adopt. In this episode, I'm joined by Zach Herbert. He's a co-founder and the CEO of Foundation Devices, a company building Bitcoin-centric and open-source tools that empower you to reclaim your digital sovereignty. He studied mechanical engineering at Boston University and dropped out of Harvard Business School after his first year. That's a good story, man. <laughs> He's passionate about Bitcoin, sovereign tech, product design, and hardware. And uh, yeah, I recently got a foundation passport as my new hardware wallet, and I love it. So uh, I'm excited to talk to Zach today. Welcome, man. Thanks, Bram. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on. Like uh, just off mic, I showed you my passport, and I think <laughs> it's just so cool that you're building you know, hardware devices that go all around the world. Like how... Uh, how does that feel like also to see people reclaim their sovereignty, right? Like, uh, I think that's your mission. Yeah, no, it feels amazing. I, um, I never get tired of it. You know, I never get tired of people coming up to us, especially at conferences and showing off the device and saying how much they love it. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it's their, you know, fifth, 10th hardware wallet. Uh, mm. For some, it's their first. And I get really excited when it's their, when it's their first. And that happens a lot, you know, where, uh, you have like the hardcore Bitcoiners buying a passport for a friend or family member and just, or even just giving it to them and saying, take this, use it, set it up. So yeah. no, I n never gets old. Awesome, man. Well, it's my second. Uh, I told you I'm <laughs> upgrading from a ledger. Um, and yeah, I am, I'm super excited to, to dive in uh, more into it. Like uh, it's, a, it's amazingly designed and uh, I encourage everyone to, uh, to check it out. Um, yeah, when I uh, when I looked you up and I researched you a bit, I read that you discovered Bitcoin in 2013. Yes. And that I think this, these are your own words, but you saw it as like a potential of digital gold, like a currency for the internet. That's similar to me, actually, like the currency for the internet um, part. And yeah, a way to return sovereignty to people. But were there any things that like made you not get it? I mean, like nobody gets Bitcoin on the first try, right? Yeah. Um Firstly, I can't believe it's been over 10 years now. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, and we all have a Bitcoin journey. I think for, for years I lingered on Reddit first, cause I don't think Bitcoin Twitter was too big back then. Mm. And then as Reddit became less popular or maybe more crowded, uh, started to go more on Twitter and, you know, the rest is history. Right. Um, at first I thought of it more as, as an investment. I, uh, you know, I had a, I hadn't even heard of it. I had a friend in college. We were at the dining hall. He was showing me his Coinbase account. And I think at that time, Coinbase had just launched and they were doing their like, giveaway referral program, something like get $10 yeah. or $20 of Bitcoin. And so I just gave him some, gave him like a $20 bill in cash and <laughs> bought some off of him and, you know, opened a Coinbase account and was able to get, you know, the referral in person. And I thought of it really like an investment. I just mm. thought like more, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. I'm going to, you know, buy Bitcoin instead of trying to buy stocks or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I always have had a, like a very uh, long-term time horizon with investments. I was never into day trading. You know, I always mm. wanted to like buy something and hold it for years. And, uh, and so that was Bitcoin for me. I was not philosophically aligned, I think, with all the principles at that time. So I think that's the biggest part I didn't get. Over the years, listening to all the podcasts, um, you know, being on Twitter, uh, reading all the content, I think the whole aspect of sovereignty, freedom, 
you know, open source uh, privacy was really ingrained in me. And I definitely did not feel that way or fully understand that in the very beginning mm. of my Bitcoin journey. I was really thinking about it more like an investment, didn't really understand or even maybe personally align with all those principles at first. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I just really want to ask you for a quick favor. Over the last few months, I've seen that only 75% of people who listen to this podcast or watch it on YouTube are actually subscribed. And the most important thing I'm currently focusing on next to hopefully giving you interesting conversations is growing this podcast subscriber base so I can continue with it into the future. I want to thank everyone who has been viewing and listening to Bitcoin for Millennials, leaving comments here and sending me DMs. It's been super, super motivating. So thank you so much. So I really want to ask you to please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or follow me on your favorite podcasting app if you are enjoying this podcast. Thanks again for joining me on this journey. Now back to the conversation. So what does sovereignty mean to you? I, I think it's like a very important yeah. element, right? But like not a lot of people, I think especially in the West, they think they're sovereign all, already, of mm -hmm. course. And so lots of people who get into Bitcoin, they, they have to like kind of circumvent that initial thought, actually realize, <laughs> you know, how the system works. And then, you know, you can move on to, to actually trying to be more sovereign. Like, well, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. I, and I think we, we've talked a lot about this as a company because we use the term sovereignty a lot more earlier on in our marketing. And we're starting to switch over to using the word freedom, which I think actually resonates more with people in the West. Sovereignty can sometimes have a negative connotation for some reason amongst a lot of people in the West. But to me, it really means having the ability to, you know, uh, almost be left alone, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be to be responsible for myself, um, to have control over my own my own life, right, and to you know not have any other third party in between you know, to really have full control myself. And I think that can be scary for a lot of people. And I think that's why it's a term that's usually used by more of the very early adopters to Bitcoin, right? The idea that sovereignty is good, that I can store my own money myself, right? Without any intermediary or third party is good. But, you know, I think it's uh, it's such an important concept. And, you know, I think it's a newer phenomenon that you're supposed to have to trust, you know, a third party like a bank or the government to print currency, right? That's relatively new in our society. I think, um, you know, most people in our modern Western society don't really do much themselves. and They're constantly relying on, you know, the government or other organizations or institutions. And, you know, sovereignty, I think can be scary, but it can also be very empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's scary because people defer the responsibility they should have, right, to these third third parties. But in in a lot of ways and um, situations, they are not even aware of the fact that they defer the responsibility, right? So once you start understanding what sovereignty could be for you, then you're like, oh, oh, but then, but then, then I really have like literally, I have like all the keys, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, perhaps freedom is a better word. I do agree. Like because sovereign being sovereign kind of also feels like you're anti something else. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like that's how my mind went, you know, like anti establishment or anti system or something. Mm -hmm. And I think uh yeah, especially in the West that that's just something that 
people didn't really like weren't really like that before right just because everything quote unquote works you don't really think about um that thing that's working for you that that is actually working against you right so that's uh that's probably the biggest thing so what what do you think what do you think is like the biggest mental hurdle something like that you know for people to get over or or something else like what's your experience with with others yeah i think it's I, I do think that the sovereignty side of things is is a double-edged sword. I think people are afraid to take that responsibility, especially over their own money. You know, I think they're really afraid to take self-custody over, you know, their entire life savings. And, that, and that's something that, you know, the self-custody industry, including hardware wallets, right? Like that's something that we're trying to figure out is, you know, how do we bring on more and more people into Bitcoin? You know, how do we get mass adoption of Bitcoin in a sovereignty preserving way, as opposed to using exchanges or the new ETFs, right? Or that direction. And so I think the fear is the biggest component. I like the idea of spinning it more as freedom because I think freedom resonates more with people. And I think, you know, with money, no one wants to be told what they can or cannot do with their money. Yeah. And so just the idea of freedom money uh, just resonates really well. And when I think about like, what we're doing at foundation, what the industry is doing when it comes to wallets and self-custody. So much of the work is around that user experience of getting people onboarded without being afraid that something's going to go wrong and they're going to lose their money, right? Or their keys. And so that yeah. I think is the biggest challenge right now on the sovereignty side. There's also more challenges even outside of self-custody, things like self-hosting, um, you know, we have a much smaller number of people running nodes at home than we do hardware wallets. But I think there's a there's a journey. And so, you know, at Foundation, when we were thinking about what product do we build first, you know, originally, um, I was always very interested in starting with the custody side of things, because I think that's the most important. You know, if you can get someone storing their own keys, it helps break down the barriers to mm. doing more, right? It's almost yeah. like a gateway to this idea of of freedom. Well, yeah, like fix the stuff for yourself first, and then you move on to contributing to the to the network, you know, mm -hmm. in in, in our, or or you know, Bitcoin broader. Let's say, yeah, mm -hmm. you touched upon the ETFs, like they are now live. How mm -hmm. do you think we should educate people about self custody? Like, uh, I think it's an interesting debate, you know, on Twitter, where mm -hmm. um, I think in general some older older people, you know, say like. Uh, <laughs> No, no, it's not a this, but more like, you know, like the ease of buying mm -hmm. an ETF is literally two clicks instead of like going on Coinbase, verifying your identity, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like, I, I mean, like from a user mm -hmm. standpoint, like usability standpoint, that makes sense, obviously, but you just mentioned as well, like then, then you get to that sovereignty kind of part where, you know, um, some people will ask themselves like, is this the best way I could do it? Mm -hmm. You know, like how, how do you think we should educate people? Like how, how do you approach that? You know, I, a lot of people, uh, especially, you know, hardcore Bitcoiners and early adopters, I, I saw a split on Bitcoin Twitter on the ETF debate, right? Mm -hmm. Some people lamenting it and saying how bad it's going to be for Bitcoin because now, you know, Coinbase or other centralized custodians are going to be owning more and more Bitcoin. On the other side, a lot of people excited about what it's going to do for the price. Um, you know, I think if you're looking at it as like a long time Bitcoiner, 
uh, institutional adoption, things like ETFs were always inevitable. So I don't think there's any mm. a reason to lament it or question it or, you know, criticize it. It's just, it just was always going to be a thing. And, you know, uh, there have been applications for ETFs, you know, for Bitcoin ETFs for many years now. So it was, it was inevitable that it was going to be approved. Um, I actually think that holding, if, if you're, if you're totally new to Bitcoin and you're looking between buying into a Bitcoin ETF versus buying Bitcoin and keeping it on an exchange like Coinbase, I actually think the ETFs are, uh, better for most people. Because they actually give you a rightful claim to the Bitcoin as opposed to be, you know, uh, under Coinbase's terms of service as a user where maybe something happens, you know, you don't get anything and you end up having to line up in a giant line, you know, during bankruptcy uh, proceedings like what we're seeing with FTX. I do think that and I hope and I expect that uh, the ETFs will be allowed to uh, with allow their uh, holders to withdraw the actual Bitcoin. Right. And that was something that uh happened at the very last minute during the etf approval process where you know the sec was going back and forth with the issuers about cash creates versus actually being able to you know redeem the asset and ultimately the sec which as we know is pretty unfriendly to bitcoin <laughs> uh did probably the more unfriendly thing which is say you can't pull out the bitcoin you have to you can only pull out the cash but if you look a few years down the road maybe a more friendly sec and if the holders actually have the ability to pull out the bitcoin it's a pretty similar situation then to what we have with exchanges today. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of people, the ETFs might be like the gateway to Bitcoin. Um, I would much rather have them coming through the self-custody side of things. But I think if we look forward a few years when people are able to actually withdraw the Bitcoin, it's going to be great because theoretically you could come in, you know, you could buy the ETF if you're totally new to this, get more comfortable, go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole because we know how exactly. Bitcoin changes yeah. you as it becomes part of your portfolio and you start to learn more about it and listen to content and you know, podcasts like this, and then realize you can buy a hardware wallet. You can use a software wallet. You can go down that entire journey, and then maybe you're feeling comfortable enough to, to pull it out and store it yourself. So that's what I hope will, will be the situation in the coming years. Um, now, one thing that we're working on right now at Foundation, which is a little polarizing because you know we're really big on privacy and no KYC and that kind of thing, is enabling people to actually buy Bitcoin within our app and just deposit it right into Passport. Um, you know, something we're hoping to get out in the next you know few months. And it's something polarizing even within the team, you know, because we always advocate for buying peer-to-peer -peer or doing things like mining or anything that doesn't get you that KYC trail. What we've realized is that, you know, I don't think most people in the coming years will really need to use an exchange. Um, you know, you're either coming in through the ETF or through your actual wallet, whether it's desktop wallet or mobile wallet, you know, you can embed buy experiences in there from on ramps and then end up you know, buying right into your self custody, right into your cold storage. And I think that's going to be really powerful for a lot of people. So we're trying to like streamline that entire onboarding experience. And mm -hmm. I think by lowering those barriers, making it easy to, you know, get set up with a, a hardware wallet in like a minute or two, get it backed up really easily, maybe in the future without even having to write things down. Though, of course, seed words should always be like an option. And then being able to buy and have it deposited into your uh, hardware wallet with a fresh address each time to, in order to preserve your you know, best privacy practices. If we can do all that, we can take the user from like zero to fully onboarded with Bitcoin and cold storage. 
uh, and they don't have to go through the ETF to do that or an exchange. And so that's what we're working towards. And nice. I think there's a lot of education, but you know, for some reason, there's been a debate in the Bitcoin community. A lot of the really early adopters try to say that, you know, the UX is already good enough. I've heard examples like, um, you want to go get a driver's license. You have to learn to drive and take the driver's test and put in lots of hours and, and it should be the same thing with self-custody, right? You should mm -hmm. go through that. Yeah. You know, I would argue maybe not, right? I would argue that, you know, you can learn more about it as you hold it. But I think the ease of onboarding people in a, in a self-sovereign way is so important. And anything we can do to shave off time, to make it easier to back up, anything like that will allow orders of magnitude more people to come in from the self-custody side of things. Yeah. I was of course, it all depends on like from which angle someone gets in, right? Mm -hmm. Like if it's purely, let's say, from the ETF angle, then I do agree. You know, you're going to watch your, your stock broker or your broker app. Um, you will, you know, just like we probably watched, you know, our our, um, our apps with the, with the wallets or like following mm -hmm. Bitcoin price, like the number go up, I think, is, you know, main marketing if you're at first if you're, yeah <laughs> yeah of course you know like but well if you're watching your etf every day or every week and it's going up and the rest is just you know chugging along and your one or two or five percent uh, mm -hmm. allocation is just outperforming the rest then yeah i i totally believe that 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 is like the gateway to the rest of the rabbit hole right to actually then exactly learn what bitcoin is and then you know, once you understand the sovereignty part or the fact that you can actually really be um, sovereign, you know, I think then you'll you'll end up on on that path that you just mentioned. But yeah, mm -hmm. it all just depends on, you know, and that's that's also really what I like about Bitcoin, like all these different dimensions that you can learn about every day. Basically, I think I'm learning new stuff every day, you know, or getting new insights every day. Like it just really mm -hmm. depends on where people are coming from. Like with regards to those dimensions, what are there like any also, when you were learning about Bitcoin, like, are there any any kind of like first principles that influenced you, or like, what? How did you approach like understanding going from the technical part to more the the well, the sovereignty, or perhaps also the more like philosophical part? Believe it or not, I mean, you kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but I think the number go up aspect of things is what really <laughs> pulled me in, and yeah. and I'm I'll be honest about that because. Things like here, um, right away. <laughs> the, the fixed supply, you know, was a mm -hmm. huge thing that pulled me into it. Where I, it was just something I instantly understood. Um, you know, the uh, difficulty adjustment, once you really wrap your head around that and you understand that, wait a minute, you know, as the price goes up, you can't actually mine more of it, right? You're, you're unable to mine more of it, um, unlike gold or any other asset. That's what really pulled me in early on. And I just thinking about it as digital gold and thinking about it with these specific hard-coded monetary properties just just sucked me into the entire you know the entire ecosystem and just made me want to keep learning more and more about it until I learned about these other things I mean I didn't even fully learn about the technical stuff in the beginning I remember I bought mastering bitcoin you know the <laughs> the Andreas Antonopoulos book yeah. you know probably I don't know a year or two after I you know, uh, heard about Bitcoin. I don't even think I read the read the white paper in the very beginning either, right? It was more about yeah. hearing it anecdotally, reading a little about it, hearing about the monetary properties and saying, this sounds really cool. And then just, you know, buying some and, and then uh, having it all crash, you know, uh, horribly uh, within a few months of buying some, <laughs> you know, buying <laughs> at the, uh, 
at the top uh, of the 2013 cycle and then having it crash down to the two $300 range and kind of going through that and, and, you know, using that time to just hold on to it and learn more about it and everything. I mean, I think that was an amazing education experience. And I think everyone who comes into Bitcoin needs to go through that. I think, you know, if yeah. anyone coming in now, they're going to have to go through that. They're going to have to understand that, you know, the volatility is, is a feature, right? Not a bug. And, um, and then they'll just keep learning more and more about all the technical, you know, aspects of it until they're fully aligned. And I used to think that, um, the financialization that's coming or has come with the ETFs was a bad thing in the sense that, you know, maybe, uh, you you outlaw sovereign Bitcoin usage and you force everyone to use like the ETFs. But now I think it's actually a good thing. I think that, you know, the Bitcoin mindset will slowly infect every single holder, whether they're holding through self-custody <laughs> or whether they're holding through an ETF. And I think, you know, it's it's not Wall Street is coming to Bitcoin. I think it's more Bitcoin is coming to, to Wall Street and everyone's going to go down the same rabbit hole that we've all gone down over the last several years. Yeah. Yeah, fully agree. I think... Uh... I was also kind of like on the edge about the ETFs, like, mm -hmm. but I think this main thought is what drove me more to the positive side. Like, I think it's just fascinating that something that got released on an obscure internet forum 15 years ago <laughs> is adopted by Wall Street. Like, just think about that in general. That means something, you know, and, yes. and these people understand, like, they know what this is, uh, I tried to like kind of like pull from my own experience working in TradFi at like two banks. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes I was working on a on a like an innovation project and I had to go to legal and I had to go like to some corner office on the sixth floor and the like chief legal or like a head of legal would be like, Who are you again? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I would be like, Oh, I have this project, etc. And they would be like, No, this is uh you know, they would not give me like the go ahead to like publish stuff, you know, and then when I see you know, these Wall Street people like uh, say certain things on TV. I think like, yeah, there's like six people who signed off on this, you know, and, and, <laughs> and you can only sign off on this if you understand what this thing is. Um, so that's kind of like how I went through my reasoning. And I agree, like, I think it's, it's uh, Bitcoin coming for Wall Street, but they don't understand. They do, they do not understand that yet. Right. Like they understand yes. the asset. <laughs> I think they understand the asset. They think like, oh, we can make money. Um, that's great, but one of the things why I think they don't get it is what, what you just mentioned as well. Like people are going to discover, oh shit, this is, this is the thing, you know, and then they're going to, um, move away, I think, or, you know, the ETFs are going to eat all the other financial instruments and then someone is going to ring the bell and then it's going to be legitimized even more. So yeah, I think it's just fun, fun times ahead, but I think like yeah, the first thing, you know, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. I think the biggest wake up call for me too was um seeing the the ads from the ETFs mm. and realizing that wait a minute, this whole marketing engine, you know, is 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 gonna be thrown behind Bitcoin. And the more money that pours into the ETFs, the more of an an incentive that everyone on the Wall Street side of things has to keep marketing it, to yes. keep at, you know, advertising it. Yeah. And then, you know, if a regulator comes along, you know, in the US, like, uh, you know, whether it's the Biden administration or, you know, Senator Warren or you know, any of these people that really hate Bitcoin for some reason, um, if, if they come along and they, and they try to handicap it in some way, it's going to impact the price of Bitcoin 
and therefore it's going to impact the price of the ETFs. And so whether uh, Wall Street realizes it or not, they are mm. now incentivized to help, you know, number go up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So any kind yeah. of any kind of legislation that that you know severely targets Bitcoin that could lead to a price decrease, they're probably going to stand against. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the conspiracy theorists were, you know, saying, well, this is this is the plan, financialize Bitcoin. I just think that you have to let the game theory play out. And we all know once you once you hold it, you want to tell everyone how amazing it is, right? You want to, um, you know, protect it at all costs. And that um, I think that's what we're going to see uh, from the Wall Street side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all other assets become boring. Like you only want to pay attention to this right. one thing. And I also think that, um, you know, I, I see Bitcoin as an experiment. So it's either zero or it's everything that we think. And I think with the ETFs, it's never going to zero. Like there's just too mm -hmm. much what you said <laughs> about those incentives, right? Yes. Like the, 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 the forced participation in Bitcoin is now forced upon Wall Street because mm -hmm. they like the, the, the incentives that are into Bitcoin, you know, when you adopt Bitcoin, you have to follow the rules. You're forced basically to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. So on, of Bitcoin, only then you can profit from Bitcoin. Right. And so. I think that's what's going to happen in Wall Street. They adopt it, but they don't understand that yet. But then at mm -hmm. one point, perhaps when they are in a struggle, they think like, oh, damn, like I don't even have, I, I cannot even get out of this uh, thing anymore. So I, I, yeah, I think it's just fun, fun times ahead. And so if you think it's zero or everything, then and it's <laughs> not going to zero anymore, then you know, yeah. perhaps and that's, uh, yeah. One One thing too that I actually have not heard people talk about is how, you know, Fidelity is already doing their own custody. And as you know, from a, a you know, obviously, a foundation, we're, we're making self custody products. And so it's really interesting uh, to see one of the ETFs, uh, one of the most successful of the assortment of ETFs so far, uh, custodying their own Bitcoin and doing it in house and not outsourcing it to Coinbase. And if you think about it from an incentives perspective, Let's think BlackRock, right, which is currently being custodied at Coinbase, which I think is a net negative for the industry. I don't want to see Coinbase getting more and more Bitcoin. I, mm -hmm. I think what we want is we want to see each ETF end up doing its own custody to help spread out that risk, right? You don't want yeah. all those coins in one basket with, with Coinbase. So there's a huge incentive to do that because we know that BlackRock and a lot of the other ETFs are paying some amount of money to Coinbase or some are using Gemini. And so they're paying them all this money and they're, you know, BlackRock is, and, and the others have really aggressive fee structures, you know, low fees. Mm. So what that means is that, you know, they want to eke out as much potential profit as possible. So not only do they want as much, uh, you know, money flowing into the ETFs, but they want to figure out how to cut their costs. And I think one of the biggest ways to cut their costs is going to be to set up their own in-house custody. Yeah, if Fidelity can do it and they got approval to use that, I think all of them can do it. And so mm. over the coming years, we'll probably see, you know, a proliferation of um, institutional self custody, which has been something that has been very uncommon over the you know in, in all of Bitcoin's history. Right? Um, there's been a lot of custody products that are uh, like a BitGo, for example, that or or Coinbase Custody or you know so many others. 
that are targeted towards institutions because the narrative has been institutions are not allowed to custody their own Bitcoin. There's just too many yeah. legal issues with that. Well, now we have Fidelity doing it for themselves for their ETF, which is probably going to be one of the biggest pools of Bitcoin uh, over time. Uh, we have BlackRock's pool is going get, to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So from my perspective, I'm, I'm excited to see institutional self-custody. I mean, I still would much rather have all the users using hardware wallets and holding the Bitcoin themselves. But you know, the more institutions that are doing their own custody, the more the environment changes, like from a legal perspective or a risk perspective to mm. empower them to do that, the stronger right, and more decentralized Bitcoin gets. Yeah. Do you think that would even legitimize Bitcoin more? Because all the other stuff they own is also deferred in a way. Mm -hmm. right that responsibility so if they all say well this is so <laughs> this is so precious that we need to hold it ourselves right because i don't think fidelity or or blackrock i don't know but that's my they don't have bit they don't have gold in a vault <laughs> right it's the it's the only asset that fidelity actually owns yeah, that's my point. No, but it's that's the only my point. one. Yeah, they, have, yeah. they have trillions of dollars under exactly. management, yeah. but they don't actually hold any of it except Bitcoin. Everything yeah. else is just IOUs. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's the point. Like, right? yeah. like when yeah. you say like, hey, this is so special, I need to own it myself. Mm -hmm. hmm. I like yeah. that angle. I think that um, you know, it, it helps create more resilient institutions as well. It also helps defend against you know the... Uh, Bitcoin seizure style theoretical mm. situation, like the executive yeah. order 6102. Um, you know, you could theoretically have the government try to seize any of these financial assets, any of these stock holdings or bond holdings or yeah. uh, stuff like that from, you know, US companies. But you know, I mean, they'd have to go. I don't know what Fidelity setup is. I'm curious about it. I don't know. Maybe I'll find out one day. I'm in Boston. They're in Boston. So <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll try to try to talk with them a little bit more about Check it. Up. Yeah. Exactly. But um, and I'm sure if I find out, I'll never be able to say anything about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, theoretically, I mean, you'd have to break down their door. You know, for wherever you know the they're holding the keys. Well, um, yeah. actually, I saw a nice analysis about that. You know, mm -hmm. seizure angle, and actually, the gold was seized when when the gold standard was still there. Mm. And so the argument—I don't know who this person was—I <laughs> I can't remember. But the argument was, well, you can only really do that if um, you know Bitcoin is the base layer of the U.S. dollar, mm. and and then we are so far along that still the same principles are, are there. Right? Like like the government can say it, but then what? Like right. it's. Like, where is it, you know? Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, again, like fun times ahead. This is especially like also one of the um, reasons I started this podcast at one point. I just thought I'm going to talk and think about this for the next 50 years. So why not just talk to people every week and well, learn more is, about it? You know? Yeah. This is the first time I've even mentioned or thought about the institutional self-custody thing, like literally right on the, right now as we're talking, because um I, I love these kinds of conversations, you know, it gets you thinking about things that, you know, you otherwise wouldn't think about. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're a millennial too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think Bitcoin resonates so strongly with millennials? I think you kind of touched upon it before mm -hmm. like that. I think the digital ownership angle, like we are the only generation who really went through the transition from physical ownership of like music and mm -hmm. 
tapes and stuff like that to like digital ownership or and in between you know i was a big uh, mp3 download like mm -hmm. napster user <laughs> um like how, how why do you think it resonates so strongly with with our generation yeah i mean i think the the, the technical or technological like art argument that you mentioned is interesting right i think we're probably we're the only generation that may have had dial up at home and then high speed mm. internet all within the same, you know, few years and went from uh, you know, exactly like you said, ripping CDs to downloading MP3s, right? So I think I think that's a huge part of it is that we're we're comfortable at the early stages of like technology adoption because we all went yeah. through that ourselves from like the computer industry to the iPods to the smartphones and that kind of thing. You know, we we all went through that. And so being an early adopter to Bitcoin isn't so scary. It's it's crazy to think about the Gen Zers who just have already had all this technology and didn't even know what it looked like, you know, beforehand. You ask them, mm. do you know what a dial-up modem sounds like? Well, so... there's actually in corporate <laughs> companies, they have training for Gen Z to use laptops. <laughs> right. Because wow. they only used to learn, to, to they only um, are used to, to using phones. And mm. as you said, it's funny, like... Um, like adopting technology, I think you and I can watch like a pixelated video, if you yeah. know what I mean, right? Like yeah. we can watch a low resolution video and it's fine. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Like at, that do. was at the beginning of the phone, you know, it was all just so pixelated and now it's like, uh, you know, movie movie quality, right? And I, I, I think that's a good point that you make. Like we have seen multiple transitions from the very mm -hmm. early attempt at transforming something analog to something digital. Mm -hmm. And also now seeing where it is within you know a certain yeah time span. So so I think that's one point. I think that's more like the maybe the surface level mm. side of things. Getting deeper though, I think our generation kind of feels like it's been screwed uh, in so many different ways. Um, you know, a, a lot of people questioning, like in the U.S., the American dream. Uh, you know, being told that you can just go to college and you get take out your student loans and then you go work and then you can buy a house and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, our generation sees the statistics of, of how much wealth is, is owned by the baby boomer generation and so on and the real estate and all that kind of stuff and the stocks. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of resentment. I think that there's also a lot of mistrust with regard to the government and our governing structures. And I think that skepticism and mistrust has grown a lot over the last decade. I think many of us, you know, we, we, we lived through the financial crisis, you know, uh, as, as teenagers or, you know, or still young in the house, a, a lot of our generation had, you know, parents who struggled with their jobs, you know, at that time. Um, you know, may have lost jobs or, or had, you know, really difficult times, you know, during that crisis. And then, you know, we got to see the, uh, the banks bailed out and, and nothing really changed. It's, it's only gotten worse. And so that's, I think the, the deeper point, right? We have the, the technological awareness and the, and the comfort with really fast changing technology going through massive technology shifts in a really short period of time, but we're also getting more and more mistrusting of the government and feel like our generation's been screwed. Yeah. And I think Bitcoin, I saw an amazing tweet. I think I retweeted the other day. Um, something along the lines of like, you know, our generation is complaining that, you know, can't afford to buy a house. 
uh, and that, you know, the grandparents or whatever bought the house at $40,000 yeah. and now it's worth millions of dollars. Well, hello, <laughs> you know, Bitcoin's, you know, $43,000 yeah, and a good tweet. we could be in a situation where it's, it's, uh, you know, worth, uh, millions of dollars, uh, in only a decade, um, when it took several decades for the $40,000 house to appreciate yeah. to that level. And so it's almost a way too for at least the financially savvy and technologically savvy portion of, of, you know, the millennials to almost get like not revenge. I don't want to say it like that, but Redemption. be the early adopters, <laughs> right? Be the early adopters of this new asset class yeah. that, um, is where, where the, where the, the older generations are actually going to be the, the later adopters. So it's really fun. Um, there's that great word, like shot, shot in Florida, right? Where you're kind of, uh, you're you're taking pleasure from like the the troubles or or misfortunes that others are experiencing. There's so I think there's a little bit of that now watching Wall Street come in and we we all know what's going to happen. We all know that it's going to become part of everyone's portfolio. And and many of many people, retirees, baby boomers, old, you know, older generations, they won't even know it's in their portfolio. Yeah. It's just going to be whatever basket of of funds, index funds and other stuff that they're holding, all of a sudden Bitcoin is going to be in there. And I, I think we all kind of take a little bit of pleasure uh, uh, from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that's a that's a fun point. Like I, <laughs> I currently also see it as entertainment. Just following mm -hmm. this, right? Uh, I mentioned before on the podcast. Like I once read a t tweet. Well, if you think you know Bitcoin goes to zero or everything, if you even remotely think it's everything, you have to get a seat in the stadium. And I feel like I'm <laughs> sitting in the stadium, right? Like yes. I'm just watching this thing unfold. We do have a long time horizon, so it's fine if it all happens in 20 years, but man, so much fun for the next 20 years <laughs> seeing, uh, yeah, what we, I, I do believe like what we think it's going to be, I, I do think it's going to be that, you know, and all the things, you know, all the, the ethical things and the philosophical mm. angles, you know, like the, you mentioned like Elizabeth Warren, Warren like the, the, <laughs> the, all the bad disingenuous people will be taught a very valuable lesson, I think. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's just entertaining as hell <laughs> just to, it, to see that. It's funny because I never thought of it as entertaining, but now I'm realizing, at least for me, I completely agree. Uh, it, it's entertaining for me, mostly watching on the sidelines for from for most of my bitcoin journey i was watching from the sidelines right i mean you know foundation it started in 2020 so we're going to be approaching uh in in march of 2020 we're going to be approaching our kind of four-year company anniversary uh in the next month or so which is crazy to think about but you know for six plus years i was more observing right not really actively participating to the level that i am today and you know went through all the stages you can possibly imagine right uh, i remember in 2013 you know 2014 i was posting about it on facebook and people thought i was mm. insane right and 2016 uh 2017 i was trying to shill it to my my classmates in business school and everyone was kind of making fun of me about it like oh the bitcoin guy you know like you know <laughs> this is if this ever even be started to become popular the government would just ban it you know you're you're crazy right this is yeah. this is for illegal stuff and drugs and and all that kind of thing and blockchain was the the way to go especially enterprise blockchain right we're talking like 2017 yeah, yeah, 2016 yeah. whatever so gone through that whole journey now watching everyone freak out because the price dropped a little bit after the ETFs launched, I'm just like sitting back and laughing because, you know, the volatility has just been so ingrained in me 
that and the and the low time preference that yeah. uh, I couldn't care less what happens to the Bitcoin price on a short term time horizon. So watching new people come in, watching everyone agonize and and go crazy about you know the the slight volatility you know and the slight fluctuations like <laughs> you haven't even seen like a thirty percent. Have you gone ninety percent down, bro? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I'm, no, like, you know exactly, yeah. exactly right. Like like I've 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 held ninety percent down. Like this is absolutely nothing and. Yeah. And, um, and so it well, do you still has... feel it, you do <laughs> still feel it a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel it exactly. I still feel it. And I still joke about how I, I still check the price every single day, <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, but not because I'm going to take any action on it, but more like just, just to be tapped into it. Right. Just, just for the, for the, I, I guess I, I haven't used the word, right. But for the entertainment value and it's really like from that perspective, it's genuinely fun to watch a new like monetary system emerge from nothing. It's just, it's amazing One time, and it's crazy and watching yeah. everyone argue and watching it, you know, this country bans it and this country puts a law banning this and it drops this much. And everyone's arguing now, of course, about like ordinals and inscriptions and, and censorship. And I'm just sitting back and saying, all right, like, this is going to be fun. Like, let's, uh, yeah, you know, let's see how all this how all this plays out. Uh, yeah, I I I do still feel it. Also, when it goes mm. down, I do check the price every day. But I have like, <laughs> I always do, I don't know what I research, but the, I need like two or three like quotes or tweets I see where I just realize, dude, nothing changed. Like, get right. your act together. It's still the same thing. It's still the same thing as a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, three years ago. And that's the entire point. I think once you're there, when you realize, you know, this is just a thing, it's just a protocol. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of people who follow the protocol. Mm -hmm. Are these incentives still alive? You know, I mm -hmm. think Jeff Booth says, uh, well, right. if it stays decentralized and secure, then it just keeps chugging along. So I have like that little moment where I, where I reflect like that. And then I think like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Let's see. We'll see. We'll see next week again, you know, and I have the same, like, um, I work for a company now and I'm in the office. They're like, oh, it went down so much. And said, and I'm like, dude, you know, chill out. <laughs> long time frame, long time frame. You know, yeah, so. I get text messages as well. Like, why did it yeah. drop? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Some idiot salt. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so what's your experience in getting like other millennials into Bitcoin? Of course, that's what this podcast is geared towards but like do you find it hard or oh yeah i've given up yeah I, I don't i don't chill it at all anymore i know okay. that's probably not what you wanted me to say but i think maybe i've been become so bruised over the last um the last decade <laughs> of... but when people really ask you still take some no, time I mean, of, of course of course right yeah. like i'll usually say you know i'll usually tell people to read the bitcoin standard you know i think that's a really good introduction from like those, the, the monetary side of things. And I think it does a great job, you know, breaking that down. I think that's probably the book that I would usually recommend, you know, the Bitcoin standard. Um, but you know, it's even amongst friends, it's, it's, it's been disappointing to me how, and, and friends and family, it's been, it's been mm. disappointing to me how rare it is still for people to get it. Um, you, yeah. you may have a different experience, of course, you know, doing this podcast and everything, Same. but I've had a pretty, pretty bad experience, you know, to be totally, <laughs> totally candid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I'm at, like orange billing wise, but I think mm -hmm. it's around 
10 ish or eight, <laughs> eight, 10 for years. I tried, like I saved screenshots in my phone where I just sent with capital letters. I love you. Please buy one Bitcoin. Thank me later. <laughs> you know, that like, never going to happen. Stuff I've, like that. Yeah. My I, most I, crushing... I recently had a friend who yeah. now is a whole coiner. He just bought one Bitcoin mm. straight out. And Amazing. I was like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Finally, after all these years, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah but my... it's hard. It's, could you even retrace your own journey? You know, it's like hard. that's why it's so hard. No. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I think my most crushing experiences have been when I gifted Bitcoin, and I mm. usually like years ago with like an open dime or something at a wedding or whatever, and knowing that they cracked it open and and spent it within oh, no. like a year, and just being so sad about it, like what a waste. You know, I should have just gifted it to you, but held it for you, <laughs> you know, exactly. and given, given yeah. it back to you. Maybe, maybe, maybe let's take some, take a portion of it back for myself, right. Of the gains, but like, almost like should I just held it for you because you don't understand, right. You don't have the, the, the low time preference to actually wait, you know, and that's been yeah. universally my, for the most part, my, my experience, not universally, but for the most part, I think one of the problems our generation has is complaining about our situation, right? Like as a millennial, you know, so many people complaining about how they can't buy a house, how, you know, they have their student loans, right? I think there's, I mean, like, they're not wrong to complain. I think they're, it's, it's completely valid. And if you look at the statistics, it's, it's really sad, right? Uh, com from a statistics perspective, from, from facts, they're completely correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's almost unaffordable to buy homes. Most of them don't have savings. Um, you know, most of them, have student loans in some capacity. Ma many in our generation still live with their parents as well. Um, but like, this is a way to just like stop complaining and do something that is in your control. And I think that's where the sovereignty side of thing comes in. And like, you know, we, we bought a house uh, last year. Um, you know, I was really excited to do that. A lot of people saying that you shouldn't do that because you should hold your Bitcoin. But my view is like, I'd like to hold my Bitcoin while having secured the security of being in my own house. And um, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have been able to do that if I hadn't, you know, bought Bitcoin and held Bitcoin for a very long time. I don't think I would have been able to. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where like, you know, if other millennials were willing to do that, we're willing to buy it, we're willing to sit for at least the four year cycle, they may be able to actually afford to go buy that house instead of complaining about how all the wealth is with, you know, the, the older generations. Yeah. Yeah. May, if you scroll back in my tweets later, I uh, tweeted this week, I made an overview of the average home selling prices mm, in the Netherlands mm -hmm. for the past 10 years, uh, denominated in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And obviously it goes down, right? So it Massively, started at right? like 500 Bitcoin mm -hmm. in 2014. Interesting period where Bitcoin went down and how, uh, home prices went up. So then it it went from 500 yep. to 1000 bitcoin. Yep. And yep. guess what it was last month December last year. Uh let's say uh 10. Correct. Okay. I didn't yeah. see your 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 tweet no. I, I think <laughs> but, I think there's a good chance in 4 years it's like 2. Wild. Yeah. Absolutely wild. I think yeah. I think and you so, could easily see that scenario in in, yeah. in in another 4 or 5 years. I mean you could even potentially see that scenario in a year and a half yeah yeah but what i find so difficult is 
sometimes I try to really like rational approach, right? Like something like this, like you look at this graph, you, if this not, doesn't trigger you, then like what would, like, I, I don't, I don't really know. But then sometimes I, I think like the, the orange pilling journey is not necessarily about uh, intelligence. It's more like a, it's more like a personal development journey in a sense, right? Like you get confronted with certain fact mm. or, you know, a graph I made or mm -hmm. the fact, you know, stuff about inflation or whatever. And then like, if it doesn't trigger you, then yeah, that's the dead end, right? right? But at the moment that it triggers you and you think like, is this really like this? You know, and you start, mm -hmm. you know, doing your own research and challenging right. your own beliefs, you know, which is obviously very uncomfortable. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if you just keep going until you actually know that you did the work and understand you know they you know really understand how something works then you'll be like oh damn like uh, that that was my fault you know uh, uh, i felt like an idiot like i'm participating in the system that i have had no clue about like how it worked you know and then and then you get to the solution which you know you and i think is bitcoin but that that first part is not necessarily about bitcoin it's just about changing certain beliefs you think you had you know mm -hmm. or or things you thought were true and and only then you move on to to a possible solution in in bitcoin right so mm -hmm. i sometimes also really see it as more like this personal personal journey and like not everyone is up for that you know most people only do that when they have certain um you know bad experience in their life you know or a life right. event or you know whatever 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 that is so um yeah, interesting to hear you. You gave up, so no shilling. Like I also don't really shill. I like try to, I like try to explain or take people along. But I know that you know you only orange pill yourself. So, you know, at one point, uh, uh, I also just stop certain conversations and then think like, well, let me know once you're there, and then I'm happy to, happy to, uh, whenever, to talk further. Whenever anyone asks me like what I do for a living, <laughs> I'm like, oh god, <laughs> yeah. Because I'm going to have to explain this. Not only am I going to have mm. to field ridiculous, you know, comments or questions about Bitcoin, but I'm going to have to try to explain, you know, what a hardware wallet is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good bridge to uh, to what I wanted to ask you. Like, what made you start <laughs> a company in Bitcoin, especially a hardware company? Well, I've always loved hardware. I um I've always like geeked out over computers. So I think that was an easy one for me on the hardware side of things. It's always been a dream really to to work uh, in hardware. And I was always very into computers when I was a kid and, you know, building the liquid cooled like gaming computers and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And then I was obsessed with Apple for, you know, years and, and, and so on, um, you know, obsessed with industrial design and product design and all that kind of stuff. So the hardware was the easy side for me. I always thought it would be fun, a fun challenge to make, you know, physical devices, especially because um, it's, it's, it creates really good, I think, defensibility as, you know, as a startup. Everyone's always worried about their idea being copied, especially if you're doing everything open source like we are. Yeah. But it's very hard to copy a physical, you know, product and everything that goes into that. So that that's one thing. Um, but the, the, more funny story about why hardware wallets and, and why foundation is, you know, back in uh, 2019. So I, I was working at a company that was actually making ASIC miners for different cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin. Those are the, the two on my left and right shoulders. Um, and a uh, company wasn't, wasn't doing that well. And uh, it was super bear market in you know, 2019. So like, good luck trying to get anyone to buy like a, a miner for anything back then. 
and I listened to a Stefan Levera podcast, um, which is still, still awesome podcast, you know, get very technical with uh, Michael Flaxman, who's a really cool developer in the space. And the title of the podcast was something like, why every Bitcoin hardware wallet sucks. <laughs> so I, you can still go back and find this episode from, from 2019. And, you know, back then there were an array of options. There was Ledger and Trezor still, of course, being the most popular ones and still are right now. But, uh, and then cold card to a lesser extent. Um, but there was air gapping wasn't really a thing at all. There was no, no such thing as using QR codes um, and, you know, scanning them back and forth. And they talked about that as a really cool security model and a security innovation that no one was really doing. Uh, there was like a Spectre DIY product back then that was starting to go around in 2019. Uh, but, you know, I think that was the only the only thing that was related to do, uh, with, with air gapping. Uh, PSPTs, you know, partially signed Bitcoin transactions was a thing that was uh, did not have much support back then, um, especially <clears> in the hardware wallets. You know, cold card was the only one that was was PSPT native. And, um, you know, there were, there were a few other things that they, that they talked about, you know, they really, they talked about, you know, the importance of open source and wanting, you know, fully open source solutions. They talked about the user experience and everything like that. And they kind of laid out what their dream hardware wallet would be. And I thought, oh, I can build that. <laughs> nice. So that's really why we started the company. You know, I Did you tell them my, this story? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think. I don't know if I ever told um, Michael Flaxman or Stefan Levera directly. I think we probably talked about it when we went on, when, when Ken, my, my, one of my co-founders and our CTO and I went on with Stefan Levera in 2021. I think we probably talked about it. Mm, the other thing cool. in early 2021 podcast. Um, I don't know if I ever told Michael directly, but um, you know, we, I, and a few of my teammates that were working on the, you know, ASIC miners, we, we quit our jobs and we, uh, you know, in, in March of, of 2020, and we started the company and the goal was just to build this like dream Bitcoin hardware wallet. Oh, the, the other thing that was really badly supported back then was multi-sig, you know, really badly supported by the existing devices. And so we're like, we're just going to make best in class Bitcoin hardware wallet. Uh, amazing for multi-sig, really user-friendly, and we're going to make it air-gapped with the camera and QR codes. And we're just kind of going to go from there. So that's what we did. And then since then, I mean, we have a much grander vision around building, you know, an ecosystem of, of um, you know, Bitcoin centric, you know, freedom tech is how I describe it. Um, yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, we have, we have a mobile app Envoy. We have our second generation passport device. We'll be rolling out new generations and new products, you know, throughout uh, 2024. So this is a really exciting year for us. Um, and even products outside of just the pure self-custody side of things, which is going to be really cool. But yeah. um, it really did start with just the idea of building the, like the dream hardware wallet and seeing that there was a gap, you know, in the industry um, and nothing that was, you know, had a great combination of UX design, you know, high quality and being, you know, a true best in class Bitcoin experience. Yeah. Awesome, man. I love it. I also really love the Envoy app. And yeah, as I mentioned, I'm waiting for the next passport <laughs> yeah. update to actually like set up my system with the, uh, um, you know, 12 word seed phrase. Mm -hmm. And can you share a bit about like the other stuff you want to build, like uh, the Bitcoin buying or, you know, if that's still in secret and. Uh... Um, yeah, I mean, I could share a little bit. I think, you know, we have, we have a couple of goals. Um, one is we're, we're really pursuing like a Apple like strategy, but on the Bitcoin side. And I, I think we're the only 
company in the whole space that, that really has those aspirations and the ability to do that. Because think about Apple, right? You have, you have the hardware, you have the software, and then you have the services. And I, and, and you know, what ends up happening is, you know, the Apple ecosystem sucks people into it. You know, once you have an iPhone, you know, you want to get a Mac or you want to get an iPad or you want to get the AirPods or you want to get the Apple watch. And then you're using all the software and it all perfectly works together. And you may even start to buy, you know, other services, whether it's Apple care to protect your devices or whether it's um, uh, more storage in iCloud or whether it's some of the other stuff like music or TV or that kind of thing. And so we look at our strategy as similar, but different, similar in the sense that we want to build like a cohesive ecosystem where every time you buy a new device from us, it will perfectly integrate with our other devices and will integrate seamlessly through our Envoy mobile app. So that's a huge part of why our, why we have our own mobile app. Um, not only does it give you like an amazing, really um, clean and, and simple and distilled Bitcoin software wallet experience, but it's like the home base for all the different devices that, that we're yep. going to make in the future. And so that, that's a huge aspect to it. And then I really want to be able to provide optional value add services that just work. Um, and the key is optional. One thing I hate is when you buy a piece of hardware and it requires a subscription. <laughs> yeah. Investors love it. And we've had, we've had so much pressure over the years from like our venture capital investors to do that. I will always say it's great if it's optional and value add and you don't have to use it, but you can. So, you know, one thing I mentioned earlier that we're working towards is, is being able to buy Bitcoin in the app, uh, being able to showcase not only, a you know, unfortunately more centralized option, uh, but also showcase some more decentralized options. A lot of people don't know we already support like redeeming as techo vouchers um, in the app natively. Uh, we're one of the only apps that does that. We want to showcase that, support more of it, but then also have a really streamlined buy flow that autom- without having to copy paste addresses around, right? Where you could just go in, yeah. open the app, buy some Bitcoin and have it immediately arrive either in your mobile wallet, your hot wallet, or your, your passport, right? In cold storage to a new address each time in order to best preserve your privacy. And then we can automatically label or, or tag the transaction for you and make a note for you so that you can do good coin control right? And do the best you can to preserve your privacy over time. So that's like a perfect example of the foundation experience, right? Going like end to end, all within the same app connected to a device. And, you know, as we introduce more devices, you know, I I won't probably comment on specific devices, but, you know, we we published a post um, at the end of last year called like the secret master plan. And we're really looking to build like a, a Bitcoin centric computing ecosystem. And, you know, all, all the different kinds of devices are on the table for that. Nodes, miners, you know, that kind of thing. Um, as we build these devices, uh, they will natively interface with Envoy and you will keep, and then all the devices will work together. So you can imagine in like a future, if we make, we make a node that, you know, you wouldn't have to set up your node in your Envoy wallet. It would just automatically set up and be configured, right? If we were to make uh, a miner, you wouldn't have to go deal with pool stuff and deposit addresses. It would just you plug it in and you could just say, I want to mine to my passport. It will automatically do that. Right. And so that's the idea of like the Apple style ecosystem. Crucially though, we don't want to have the Apple style lock-in 
I don't like that, you know, you're stuck within the ecosystem. Yeah. One thing we really strive to do is you go to Passport, you go to your account, you choose Connect Wallet, and virtually every software wallet is there or service. So like yeah. Blue Wallet, Casa, Sparrow, Spectre, Nunchuck, and many others are all there. And so rather than saying you can only use Passport with Envoy, we're saying, no, no, Envoy is the starting point. But you can, you're encouraged to go connect your passport with other wallets or services. That's only going to continue to grow as we ship, you know, new, new generations of passport devices and other devices. So we call it, it's like vertically integrated experience, but like horizontal integration for the device. Um, and uh, we really love showcasing, you know, new wallets and new integrations and, and that kind of thing for, for passport. So that's a little preview of where we're going. We'll probably be working on other value add services. I really want to get non-custodial lightning in Envoy. Hmm. I yeah. think that it's so important to allow people to use lightning without needing to go through a custodial app. And there's just significant UX and you know UX barriers right now. And I think having all that in the same app could be really powerful, right? Being able to go from money in your on your passport in cold storage directly into lightning channel and envoy and so you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff from us over the next you know several months and, and beyond yeah yeah i love it i would encourage everyone to check out the envoy app it's great and also <laughs> um you know so i'm waiting for the passport update but i've been playing around with it i use, mm. I, I i set up a seat and i use sparrow i used envoy mm -hmm. just super easy to connect with and i i love that strategy of and i, and I think that really aligns with the bitcoin ethos as well mm. right like yeah that it's it's a um mutually beneficial ecosystem right it's not a mm. it's not a zero sum um zero sum game and especially exactly you you set yourself up for the challenge of just making the best experience in, and and know, i really have while like, competing with the rest yeah, like we, we have our site set on Ledger this year. I I really don't like Ledger as a company. I think, you know, that they their values are the antithesis of, of Bitcoin's values, right? The Bitcoin is supposed to be open, right? Open source. You know, all the ledger stuff is totally closed source and proprietary. You know, Bitcoin is supposed to be uh privacy preserving and empowering. You know, the Ledger Live app tracks you on their fundraising decks. They advertise about the amount of Bitcoin and crypto stored on Ledger devices, which they're only getting if they're collecting data about, you know, your your balances, right? From your XPubs and and you know Ethereum addresses and other stuff like that. And so like, you know, I really want to try to build the Apple style ecosystem, but that has the values that align with Bitcoin's values, yeah. right? Where yeah. you know it's 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 all open source. You don't have to trust us. We agonize over making sure that all our stuff is open and licensed properly, you know, down the yeah. entire hardware layer to the circuit boards themselves. We're one of the only ones that actually do that properly, where you can go on our GitHub and find everything. A lot of companies in the space will say they're open source, but they're not actually if you start digging around. And I think that's really, you know, really a net negative. So that's a huge, you know, portion uh, to what we're trying to do. And then we just also like, we do everything possible to respect user privacy. We have Tor as an option in the app. Now it doesn't always work perfectly because it's Tor, but you can toggle it on with one tap. We just open sourced our our Tor library for Flutter and we're encouraging other people to use it. And there's already another wallet, a mobile wallet called Stack Wallet that uses our Tor library. So we're all about like trying to, you know, 
build the whole open source foundation for the for the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Both the physical foundation, but but then also a lot of the software foundations as well. And like we we live and we and we breathe it, right? Every single day. And so it's one of those things where it's not enough to just be open source, right? It, yeah. If you don't have the design, if you don't have the user experience, if you don't have all that kind of stuff, it's not going to be enough. But if we can provide and make superior products to Ledger while also being aligned with all the values, I think we'll see a huge, um, ho hopefully, uh, change in, in, in consumer behavior. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my big goals for the next uh, next 24 months during hopefully this, this bull market cycle. Well, awesome, man. Well, you already got me like I'm moving from Ledger to Passport. So yeah. that's, uh, that's already <laughs> a one. Lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people have. And um, a lot of people get it. I mean, there's, I joke that Ledger has been our biggest marketing department, uh, at least mm. in 2023, <laughs> <laughs> with all the scandals, um, you know, Ledger Recover being a big one, but a lot of smaller scandals, right? People realizing how Ledger Live is tracking you. Been a lot of viral threads about that. And I think that people are fed up. And I think that, you know, there, there needs to be some alternatives that are not just alternatives, but are actually better. And so, you know, future products we make on the self-custody side, I'm really interested in moving more towards the idea of like the hardware wallet as a platform where developers mm. can come and make apps for it, which is very, kind of what Ledger does, you know, where like they have like the Ledger app store and they make users install apps and that kind of thing. But, but they make you install like apps per coin. I'm more interested in like if a really cool wallet developer wants to make an app to run on Passport, they should be able to do that without our permission. Yeah. And that's so, how you kind of build like that, that freedom tech ecosystem, that, that more platform approach that kind of aligns more with like what Apple did with the iPhone and the app store and, and that kind of thing. So those are the things we're, we're really interested in. I think the kind of stuff that we're going to build over the next couple of years and ship over the next couple of years will be very different from what you see from all the other companies that are making hardware wallets. Sounds super exciting, man. I'm, uh, uh, I'll be following with great, <laughs> great interest. Let's yeah. switch it up before we, we wrap it up. I actually just spotted a software. You have like a $5,000 book on the shelf or 10. I don't know what it goes for. And I day. haven't, I haven't even opened it. Oh man. I actually <laughs> wanted to ask you a question about it. <laughs> I did. I did go to his, uh, uh, okay. his lecture in, uh, in the Boston area. Cause he, he did like a oh, yeah. talk at, um, yeah. the, uh, uh, Is that a the, one of the, the local TED talk or no, no? He, so that was before that he did a he mm. so he, he did a we did a dinner with him the night before for for like a private dinner and then he did a talk for the mass adoption meetup group which is like the greater mm. boston area and it was it was pretty well attended by like 100 people at a brewery i think which is pretty cool but um oh, uh and then I, I haven't looked at the ted talk but i think the ted talk is probably a more refined version of of that talk. Yeah. but no I'm, I'm so i'm familiar with his his yeah, concepts yeah. but so i, I do i do kind of want to sell it. the book though i kind of want to just say maybe i should <laughs> get rid of this book which is just some pieces of paper and um and stack some more sats you know before it feels things get a bit crazy. like this is like the the mod, like the Bitcoin modern day, like anarchist cookbook type thing, like because it's like a band. It, it I don't know, like uh, it it was sold physically. We think, we right? think it was For... pro probably he was probably told by the military to take it, take the book off off the shelves. I think in yeah. essence, it's a strategy on how to destroy America if the you know the Russians or the Chinese would actually go through it. <laughs> so that makes makes sense. But uh, yeah, I I um. 
I don't know, like how could we like summarize the software thesis? I think in essence, it's uh, he says there's always power projection between mm -hmm. any living uh, creature, you know, animals, plants, humans, etc., and and it's always between countries as well. Mm -hmm. And up until now, we we fight like kinetic wars. We shoot guns and uh, mm -hmm. and bombs and stuff. And mm -hmm. he. He says the next war is going to be in cyberspace and how do you defend cyberspace that's with computing power what's the mm -hmm. best way to get a lot of computing power that's adopting bitcoin something like that. i don't know if that's a good summary i know i think say. that's a good summary from one angle of it and and one angle that was really contentious that people told to me was a total idiot for you know a year ago mm. was, was like he kind of he kind of said like or, or implied that you know everything is going to be built on bitcoin like bitcoin will be this layer you know, mm. for the internet. Everyone said that's crazy. Like Bitcoin is just for money and you know, you're you're taking this way to to the extreme and you're going somehow from Bitcoin to computing power to power projection <laughs> to all that yeah. kind of stuff. But now I mean you look at what happened what's happening with ordinals and inscriptions and they're using the Bitcoin blockchain, which is secured by Bitcoin mm -hmm. mining and therefore, you know, uh, Bitcoin computing power. Uh, and they're using it for things that people are not happy with because arguably non-monetary use cases. Um, you also have other things like BitVM that have been proposed to do general mm -hmm. compute on top of Bitcoin. That also is secured by Bitcoin computing power. So, you know, he's starting to look very, I don't know, prescient might be the word. Uh, but then a lot of people would be would never want to acknowledge that he may have been ahead of the curve with some of these principles by yeah. a year or two. and. Most, a lot of the, you know, early hardcore Bitcoiners will call him like a total idiot, a fraudster, right? Like uh, that kind of thing. But I, I do think there's something there. I do think there's, you know, if you kind of take the general thesis that Bitcoin is going to become like the underpinnings of a more, you know, decentralized internet and that you can today build things on it that are not purely monetary in nature and you can't really stop people from doing that. Yes, so that's the whole you point. Fast, you fast right. forward a decade from now. Yeah, maybe you're gonna see, you know, a, a you know, similar to, um, you know, it could it could be a, a building, uh, you know, a, the the building uh, bone or like the 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 base layer, right, of like an entire more decentralized yeah. internet with a different architecture than, than what we're seeing now. And if that's the case, then all of it's going to be secured by Bitcoin mining. So maybe he's yeah. he's not too off base. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Fun. Yeah. I literally just spotted it. I haven't met anyone who has like the physical book should because I it's sell so it? rare. But I mean, should, I don't I don't no, really know what I to do with it. I think this is I... classic. No. Oh. Well, yeah. This you know, is the, have, the Bitcoin I... dilemma. <laughs> Stack sets or sell. The book. Yeah, because and this is this is my dilemma with collectibles and like all the ordinal stuff because I'm not an NFT person, right? Mm. Like. I collect, for example, I told you I was really into Apple for a while. I still kind of am, but not like I was when I was younger. I collect all the original Think Different posters, um, from fun. which a couple of them are behind me right now. Uh, it's fun. Uh, they're physical. They're just pieces of paper. I could probably go take a high-res image and have one printed, but it's not going to be the original poster, right? And so when I was collecting yeah. them, I was agonizing and learning about how do I know that this is an original Think Different poster? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, maybe it's a fake. There's a lot of fakes on eBay and I was trying to figure that out and, and figure out what questions I can ask to make sure before I buy these things for sometimes hundreds of dollars or more each, right? Like a decade ago. Wow. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think humans have a tendency to collect things. And so 
you know, the, uh, the book is a great example. You have a, now a banned book or a book that's been removed from, uh, you know, the publisher and you can't really find it anywhere. And very few people have hard copies on one hand, I have a really low time preference and I'm really into Bitcoin and I've sold things like Twitter handle for Bitcoin, right? Where I'm like, this is a nice. Twitter handle, but like, yeah. uh, I'd rather have Bitcoin. On the other hand, when it's a physical thing, I don't really personally care much about the digital collectible, but the physical collectibles, I don't know. They can be kind of cool. So I'm probably going to hold on to the, uh, to the nice. book. But, but nice. I, do, I did check a couple months ago eBay to see how much they were going for, and I was, I was in shock. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's five or even 10K. Crazy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, last two questions, sure. if you still have time. Yeah. Maybe this is a short answer, maybe very long, actually. But like, what's a common misconception about Bitcoin that you wish to debunk, if there's one? Um, I I think I think the common one for me is it's probably an easy one. It's it's just like that the you know self custody is scary, right? And, mm. and and maybe that's still a little too obvious and boring for me to say, <laughs> but I still think that's the thing that stops people from from you know. Uh, buying Bitcoin, right, is is the fear. Yep. I think, um, I think if if uh, you you know you you learn about it and you understand how it works, I think it's it's really easy. And yep. I'm we're doing everything we can to to make it easier for people, um, and lower those barriers. You know, during during setup of your software wallet or hardware wallet, we did it really well with with Envoy, where if you use Envoy just as a hot wallet, you know what you can do. You, we have this cool feature called magic backups where you just tap create, you know, magic backup and it saves a little bit of data on your iCloud or Google keychain, which is all end to end encrypted. We can't see it. It sends some encrypted data to our server. We don't even know who you are. We have no name, username, any identifier for you, but we just store it for you. And then it backs up your whole wallet in a self custodied way. You don't actually need to write down the seed words uh, until you're, you know, ready to do that. Right. But, you're onboarded less than a minute, fully self-custodied. When I show people that, they're like, whoa, like I didn't know I could actually do that. Because most of the times you go download a software wallet, you go to set it up. It's like, here's your seed words, write these down, do this quiz. You've lost them often by then. And like, I just, I can't do it. Mm. Um, or they'll skip the backup, which is really bad in some cases. So I do think that like, that's the biggest misconception around, around self-custody being something that, you know, people are intimidated by and, you know, it'll take some work, but I, I think we got to tell everyone and show everyone like how easy it is. And people are used to keeping valuable things safe all the time. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think hopefully that, you know, we can make more progress, you know, with that and, and bring a lot more people into uh, to the self-custody world. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Last, last question. And I ask everyone the same question. What's a core belief that you will never let go? I don't want to be too, uh, you know, corny with like the freedom or sovereignty stuff, right? Because <laughs> it's like it's like too obvious for for me. Because like our our company principles uh, really mirror my own. So I'd say that's if I could answer it in the obvious way, it's it's that right, like the like the freedom side of things. If I could answer it more in like a like a personal values way, it's like the always striving for absolute excellence, right? And, and everything. And that's like a core personal value for me where, you know, it, it definitely is something like that I, you know, bring to work every single day, you know, like 
and and the team knows it <laughs> and it's it's also kind of become ingrained as the in the company as as a as a key value right but we're we're always you know trying to like it, we're not we're not half assing this stuff right like we're 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 no. doing this so that we can absolutely do our life's best work and i'm unable to be motivated for any kind of anything unless i'm doing that right and um and that's and that's really that's just a you know big, big part of who i am Awesome, man. Thanks yeah. for sharing. And thanks so much for this conversation. Yeah, thanks, I, bro. This uh, was fun. Really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, let's do this somewhere in the future again. <laughs> if you have like new stuff you can show. We will. That yeah. would be we'll fun. We'll have new stuff for sure. A lot yeah. of new stuff. I'll, uh, I'll link to your X-Profile file Foundation website, etc. Like all in the show notes. And uh, yeah, man. Thanks again. And uh, keep in touch. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would be amazing if you could rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. It will help us educate more millennials on the importance of Bitcoin. You can follow and connect with me on Twitter. I'm Bramke, that's at B-R-A-M-K. And if you are or know someone who has an interesting perspective on Bitcoin that's worth sharing, hit me up. I read and reply to every single message. I appreciate your support and hope you'll be here for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.